I think we should start by being honest uh, that we all wish the band would just keep playing. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, it is a joy to be with you. We're going to be in Psalm uh, 17 this morning. Psalm uh, 17. Let me read through it. Uh, to you. Psalm 17, beginning of verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my, my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have, tr- you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I've avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your past. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to hear me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my... My, en- my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. This is God's word. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Uh, Gracious God, we come to you. Um, We confess that we need your light to see light that we need you to come and teach us, that we need you to come and instruct us. So Lord, we pray that you would come, that you would speak to us. We confess that we're here to listen to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, I'm Aldo. Uh, I'm the campus minister for RUF, which is a campus ministry uh, at the University of South Florida. And it's a great joy to be with you uh, here as we kind of are continuing our series of prayer through the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 17 is something of an interesting passage. I think one of the things that's true about us in the church is we're pretty good at prayers uh, when we need to repent, when we've done something wrong. We're pretty good at those. Like, I know how to do that because I screw up all the time, and we have a lot of good practice. You know, like, there's a lot of prayers that you're taught to pray is often, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I've done something wrong. Those are good prayers. You should pray them. Please do. Uh, However, what do you do when you're not in the wrong? What do you do when someone's wronging you? What do you do when you're the victim? What do you do when, to the best of your knowledge, as much as you can know, you've tried to act righteously, you've tried to live faithfully, you have tried to live honorably, you've tried to live morally, you've tried to live in the context of God's covenant, and yet you're being oppressed. How do you, what do you do? What do you do? Uh... In 1966, J. 
June 17th at 2.30 a.m., two men entered the Lafayette Bar and Grill in Patterson, New Jersey, and opened fire. Uh, the bartender and a customer were killed immediately. Another died in the hospital about a month later. Third customer survived the attack despite a head wound, and it ended up costing him his eye. And when questioned, both told the police the shooters had been African-American men. About 10 minutes later, around 2.40 a.m., a police cruiser stopped two African-American men, Reuben Carter, professional boxer nicknamed The Hurricane, and John Artis in a rental car, returning from a night out on the town. They were arrested for the shooting in the Lafayette Bar, and they were tried and convicted in 1967. Carter and Artis maintained their innocence, and Carter's autobiography titled The 16th Round which was written while he was in prison, was published in 1974. And the story inspired the 1975 song by Bob Dylan uh, called Hurricane uh, and the 1999 film The Hurricane, starring Denzel Washington as Reuben Carter. In 1985, after years of appeals, Carter's conviction was eventually overturned in federal court by Judge Haddon Sarkin. And he examined new evidence and concluded, quote, that Carter and Addis's uh, convictions were predicated on appeal to racism rather than reason and concealment rather than disclosure. And Carter was released from prison and immediately became an advocate for those who were wrongly convicted. And he said this later on in his life. He said this, to live in a world where truth matters and justice, however late, really happens, that would be heaven enough for me. To live in a world where truth matters and justice, however late, really happens, that would be heaven enough for me. It's an extreme example of what we all know. Living in the face of injustice destroys a person. It's hard. I mean, it's, it's one thing when you've done something wrong, right? It's one thing when you've got to take responsibility for your actions. It's one thing when you've done something, you've hurt someone, you've done some crime, you've done some offense, you've caused some sort of issue, you are the source of the problem. It feels like at least you have some ability to, to uh, rectify the situation. You can apologize. You can go forward. You can try to seek reconciliation with other people. You can try to make amends for the, prom for the difficulties that you've caused. But what happens when you haven't done that? It's a powerless feeling because there isn't much you can do except protest your innocence. There isn't, you can't seek reconciliation for something you haven't done wrong. You can't apologize for a thing that you didn't do. You can't try to restore something that you didn't break. And so we're journeying through the Psalms, and this week we're asking this question, what resources does Scripture give us? to pray through experiences of injustice, to pray through those types of experiences where we've been wronged falsely. We're looking at Psalm 17, and I want to just consider two things with you really, really briefly that we might consider who David is praying to in the face of injustice and what he's praying for. Who David's praying to and what he's praying for. So first, who he's praying to. The, the first thing to note about this, verse 1, he begins this, um, 
this cry with the word Lord, uh, the word Lord. This is, uh, a trans- this is how your Bible will translate God's personal name. Uh, this is how uh, it would be referred to when God revealed himself to the Israelites on Sinai. He said, this is my personal name. This is who I am. This is the personal God. This isn't just the general name for God. This isn't just one God among many. No, this is God's personal name. Again, in verse 7, he talks about God who shows steadfast love. This is the God who's in covenant with his people. This is the God who comes and meets his people. This is the God who walks with his people. This is a God who stays with his people. This is not some random God in the sky. This is not one of those prayers that David is just throwing out there to someone who might or might not be out there. Like, hey, maybe, God, if you might exist, I don't even know what to call you. I don't even know anything about you. But if you're out there, here's some thoughts that I've had today. No, 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 this is a God who David knows. There's a relationship there. There's a personal relationship there. This is a God who chose David, who delivered David before, who's been faithful to David, who's made promises to David. There's deep relationship here. He knows God's name. He knows who this God is. He's seen him work before. He's been walking in relationship with this God for years. Some of you have been walking with this God for years. And you know what that's like. This deep personal relationship. This deep way of knowing God for who he is. It's something like uh, being in a marriage. If you've ever been in a marriage for a long time, you start to not just know about someone, but you start to know someone sort of instinctually. Like you don't even, like I know certain things that I do are going to make my wife annoyed, like before I do them. Like I'm about to do something like, if I do that, she's going to be so annoyed. She doesn't have to tell me anymore because I just know. And I also know, like my wife hates roses. She doesn't like roses. She thinks that they're too, um, that's too like simple. If you get roses, that's, you're just treating her like everybody else. You didn't put any thought into it. Yeah, yeah, she, she liked to be different. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Sorry, if you bought roses, you know, for like something this week, just call, call a shop. Uh, see what they could do. Uh, and here's the thing. Is so I don't even have to ask. When I go to the store and we're picking out flowers, I'm going to bring some flowers home. I know not to bring roses. I don't have to ask. I don't have to, like, think about it. I don't have to go, I wonder what what she might like. I already know roses is a no-go. There's a deep personal relationship. There's a way that we've grown together where I can anticipate some of the things that she will love, some of the things that she's going to want, some of the things that will make her happy. And two, in this sort of relationship, when you've been walking with the Lord for years, when you've been walking with God for time, you can begin to enter into that sort of deep type of community. You enter into a deep sort of love where it's no longer just God who might be out there, some God who might exist, somebody who's out there. I don't know, maybe you're out there, but no, 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 this becomes my God. Hear me, my God. Lord, I know you. You're the faithful one. You're the steadfast one. You're the one who's been faithful. You led your people out of Egypt and you 
delivered them and you brought them into a promised land. And then, Lord, you have called me and you chose me. Even though I was the youngest of the sons, my father didn't even think to bring me in to be chosen, but you chose me, Father. And I know that you've brought me to this point. And I know you delivered me when people were trying to kill me. I know all these ways that you have rescued me. And so now I know I can call upon you because you're my God. There's a deep relationship here. This is the God of steadfast love, the one who's in covenant with David, the one who's brought David to himself. And here's what I love about this. This, is, this leads David to pray some prayers that you and I would feel uncomfortable praying. This leads David to pray honestly. Like, look at verses 8 through 12. Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. My enemies surround me. They close their hearts to pity. They're like young lions seeking to ambush me. What I love about this is there's real honesty. There's real concern. There's real fear. See, here's here's the thing that you and I struggle with is we sometimes think, okay, God has been faithful and therefore I shouldn't fear ever, right? And what I love about this passage is David says, God, you've been faithful and I'm afraid. God, you have chosen me. You've delivered me. God, you have been for me and yet (laughs) I'm not seeing a way out of this one. There's some honesty there. He comes and he opens up his fears. He comes and he says, Lord, I'm afraid. I really need you. Earlier on, it was noted in the book of Exodus that God spoke to Moses like a man speaks to a friend. What I love about that, God and Moses had this ongoing conversation that was almost like a friend. Do you, you, you know, do you have like really good friends? You know, like the really, really good friends that you just call and you're like, hey, you got 10 minutes? Like, and you know, like, this is, I call this the treehouse of trust. Like, what happens in the treehouse stays in the treehouse. Like, whatever we're going to do, like, when I'm going to have this conversation, nobody else is going to share this, so I'm just going to be 100%. I'm going to be real. You know, like, hey, I had this meeting. I thought it was going to go real well, and it didn't. And I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm ticked off, man. Or, man, you know, my wife and I, we just had an argument. I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know how to fix this. There's honesty in friendship. There's honesty in relationship. And this is this God who David comes to and he's honest. He comes and he shares honestly. And the second thing he does, this is the part that'll trip you up. Because we're good, but we, we like being real. We like being open and vulnerable. I don't know if you've noticed this. Our culture loves vulnerability. We love to be open and vulnerable. So we, we're, we're okay with that. Here's this one. It also leads him to pray boldly. Look at this. These are, look at verses 1, 8, and 13. There are imperatives. There are command words. There are things. He's telling God what to do. Verse 1, hear, Lord. Keep me, Lord. Verse 13, arise, O Lord. He is, he is giving God some instructions. He comes and he says, Lord, here's what I need you to do. And he's not rebuked. He's not turned away. In fact, his prayer ends up in the Bible. (laughs) That he comes boldly before God and says, Lord, here's what 
I need. Hebrews 4, 16 says, because Jesus is on the throne, because he is our great high priest, we can come boldly into God's presence. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not a strange God to you that keeps you at arm's length, but he invites you to come into his presence honestly and boldly with your concerns, to come and to pray to him to come and to speak to him. Now, let me just, let me clarify this. There is, there's two types of boldness. There's a boldness that comes in and says, do better, right? This is a kind of in-your-face boldness. Don't do this. Don't do it. Uh, this is the kind of in-your-face, God, you are just terrible at being God. And if I had your job, I would be doing so much better at this and so, would you just do better? I mean, what are you doing up there? Don't do that. That's not the type of boldness we're talking about. That's the boldness that comes from doubt. That's a boldness that says, I'm not even sure if you're really good. Like, I don't think you actually have this all together. You know, like, God, it seems like you're, you say you're all good and all powerful, but, if, but down here, it don't look like that at all. And so, it seems like you're just kind of sleeping on the job. That type of boldness... That's not the boldness of faith and relationship. That's the boldness of doubt. But here's the boldness of relationship. You ready for this? There's a boldness that comes in that says, Dad, get them. There's a boldness that comes in that says, You just know if you ask, your father's going to take care of it. I mean, I have a five-year-old son. If my son came in the house and said, Dad, these kids are trying to beat me up, I wouldn't be like, let me think about this. What should I do? Huh? Like, son, are you sure? You know, do you really need my help? Like, are you okay? Do you really? I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. I got something. That, I got a phone call I got to make here in about five minutes. I'm busting out of the house so fast. I will be heading out there. There is a sight of boldness that comes that you can come into God's presence and saying, Lord, I know you're my father. I know you care for me. I know that you're a faithful God. I know that if I come and I ask, that if I come and if I come before you and I say, Lord, I need your help, that you're not a God who looks at that and goes, I don't know, I've got something else I'm doing right now. Maybe come back to me another day. No, you're a God who's faithful, who's steadfast, who's been with me and who's for me, and you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine, that, Lord, you're able to do that. Lord, so I can come boldly into your presence. Friends, do you know if you've been baptized, if you believe in Jesus, if you've, if you've been brought in to God's community, God's made a covenant with you. God's, God's brought you into relationship. That he's no longer, if you, if you belong to Jesus, if you've been brought into a community of faith, that this is no longer just a random gathering of people, but this is God's people. And you're part of God's people, and you can come boldly because he's your father, because he's granted you access to that. We've been brought into the household of faith. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. You know there's a difference between a guest and a son? There's a difference between a guest and a daughter. You know, I, I, I have, um, I've had people stay at my house a number of times, and we have an extra bedroom, but it was like our spare room for storing stuff. And so when people, when guests would come to visit, they'd end up on the couch. Because I'm like, man, 
you know, rearranging all that stuff. I'd have to pull everything out of there and do all that. That's kind of a lot of work. So if you could just, I'll put a blow, I'll, maybe I'll put up a blow up mattress in the living room or something. That's great. And you'll be here for a couple of days and then you'll leave. I'll pack it up. But my wife now is pregnant um, and she's due in August. And so what we've been doing all summer is we've been cleaning out that, that room. Why? This isn't a guest. This is a son. And he's got a place. He belongs. He doesn't have to come and beg and say, you know, where am I going to sleep? It's like, no, 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 we've got a place prepared for you. We're ready for you to belong. We're ready for you to be here. Friends, if you believe in Jesus, God has made promises to you. He's prepared a place for you. He's your father. And so you can come boldly to him and say, Lord, get them. Father, get them. Friends, let's, let's cultivate a relationship with God that's like that. Can we be people that pray like that? Could this be a place where, where we come in and we, we, do, we hold two things together simultaneously that we really struggle with? Can we be a place that we come in to God's presence and we pray real, real, prayer, real prayers? Thank you. Um, where we're honest, we come in and we say, Lord, this is really hard. We come in and we say, Lord, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Lord, this has been years. Lord, this has been so hard for so long. Can we, can we be a people that pray like that? And can we also be a people who pray boldly? Who come in and say, Lord, I know it's hard. Lord, I'm, I'm telling you, it feels like I am being ambushed, like I am surrounded on every side, like the walls are closing in, and yet I know you're faithful. Yeah. And yet I know you're for me. And yet I know you're with me. And yet I know that Jesus rose and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. I know that. And so I know you're with me and you're for me. That's who he's praying to, this God who is stable and steadfast, the one who's brought him into relationship. The other thing about this God is found in verse 6. This, this, this knowledge of this God brings David to say this with confidence. Lord, you will answer me. Lord, I pray to you. I call upon you, oh God, because you will answer me. I love this. If you, if you wanted like a fun project for this summer, fun by some standards, if you wanted a fun project for this summer, just... One of the things I noticed years ago as I was reading through the Psalms was how often the Psalms and the prophets describe God as the God who hears, that he is a God who hears his people. Friends, if you wanted a fun exercise, just every time you open a psalm and you're reading through the psalms, just find the times where it says God is a God who hears, that he hears his people. If you look all the way back to Exodus, the people are in bondage, and they cry out to God. And what does God say? I have heard the cries of my people. God is not indifferent. God is not hard of hearing. And this leads David to come and to say, Lord, you will answer me. This is the thing that makes God different. Psalm 135 says this, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. But the Lord is a God who hears. 
This is a God who hears and will respond. This is a God who has ears and he hears. This is a God who has mouth and he speaks. This is a God who has eyes and he sees. Friends, let us come boldly and honestly before this God, knowing that he responds to us, knowing that he is a God who answers prayer. In the old, old book of common prayer, one of the prayers begins this way. It's beautiful. Almighty God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. Almighty God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. Friends, God doesn't get tired of hearing you. Can I tell you something? Um, some of you, the voice of Jesus is so harsh, and it's so hard. And, and, and you, your, your big struggle to pray is you feel like a burden. I work with students, and I, I'm shocked by how often, like, I'll be reading the Bible with a student. I'll be praying with students. It's like, it's my job. It's like what I signed up to do is to hang out with them and read the Bible with them. Like, I'm sorry I'm taking up so much of your time. I'm like, do you know you're not a burden to me? Friends, that's me. Like, I'm broken. I'm messed up. Do you know that the God who entered into history, who came down, who suffered and died, who is always more willing to hear you, who is always listening, whose eyes are on you, he does not see you as a burden. He does not see you as like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can you please like wrap it up? No, no, no. He sees you as his beloved child and he longs to hear from you. I don't know if you've experienced this. I have a five-year-old. Like, I love to hear about my son's day. I love it. I don't always love to hear about other people's kids' day. Like, for some reason, like, it's your own kid. You're fascinated. You're like, tell me everything about your day. Like, I want to hear it all. Like, who'd you play with? What toys did you play with? Who did you meet? What did you do? What did you learn? And then other people are like, today in school, I learned. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting. That's nice. Uh, Friends, you are God's child. You're not just some person. You've been adopted as sons and daughters. He says, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. The Lord longs to listen to you. He longs to hear about your day. He wants you to talk to him. Come and speak to him. Come and speak to the one who's always more ready to hear than we are to pray. This is the God who he prays to, the God who's in covenant with and the God who will answer. What does he ask for? Again, verse 1, hear a just cause, Lord. And then in in verse 2, from your presence let my vindication come. Hear a just cause. Literally, in this, in this first part, this, this hear this just cause is literally just hear justice. Hear righteousness, Lord. There, and there's kind of two parts of this righteousness. We can, we can sometimes be troubled by this because what, here's what the psalmist is not saying. He's not saying, Lord, listen to this. I've never sinned in my whole life. He's not saying, I have no sin. He's not saying, I'm perfect. He's not saying, Lord, look at my moral bank account and compare it to this person's, and I'm like a little higher on the scale, and so you should listen to me. We ne- friends, we never come to God ever on the basis of like, I'm better than other people. That's why you should listen to me. 
That is never why we come. Righteousness is not found in us just building up our own moral perfections. It's not in us like being awesome. It is in being relationship to God. And so when David talks about righteousness, he's not saying, Lord, hear that I am uh, a wonderful person who's never sinned, but he's saying, Lord, instead, hear me as one of these people living in the covenant that you've initiated, living in this community, living in this life, living in this relationship with you, that I'm walking in this relationship with you. Friends, righteousness is found. The way that we can be in the right with God is always in relationship to Him. We never go over here, try to build up a resume, and then come to God and say, Lord, look at my resume. Aren't I awesome? We always come to God in relationship, in, the, in Him, in His Son, Jesus. We always come to Him and pray to Him in that way. We always say, Lord, here I am. I'm one of your people attempting to live in your community, attempting to go in the way that you've shown me. This isn't moral perfection. This is righteousness that comes from being in relationship with God. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. This is it. We come in relationship. So there's the righteousness of relationship, but then also we should be clear there is also a clean conscience in verses 3 to 5. You can read through those and you say, Lord, you've tried my heart. You've visited me by night. You've tested me. You've found no, nothing, no wickedness, no sin. I have held fast to your paths and my feet have not slipped. We noted our relationship with God is not simply a matter of moral calculation, right? We don't just go over there and say, Lord, look how awesome I am. Also, your actions matter to God. God cares about what you do, how you live, and how we go about our lives. God cares about our actions. God cares about you being unjustly accused. God cares about the way that you treat other people. This relationship that we have with God is not a silo where we just exist just with us and God. No, it is something that overflows into every area of life. This is why the... the, uh, uh, grow class this morning was on the church. And what is so beautiful about the church is like, this is where it overflows. Is This isn't just we all just go plug in the podcast and like listen to our favorite sermon that Sunday and pray to God by ourselves. No, we come together in relationship, in community. There's a beauty of belonging to community and God, and in God's kingdom, our actions matter. They do matter. God sees your righteousness. God sees when you are trying to live righteously, when you are unjustly persecuted. God sees those things. He sees the good things, the good works that you're trying to do. This is a little bit of an aside, but I would also just say it's really hard to live a double life. It's really hard to live a double life. John 1, 8, and 9 says, we have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, but the truth, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, there are some, you know, some of you have experienced that persecution where, where you have been afflicted for nothing of your own fault. 
God sees you. He sees that you will be vindicated in this life or the next. Friends, some of you are trying to pretend that your conscience is clean and it's destroying you on the inside. It is destroying you because you can't come to God this way. You can't come and say this. Come, friends, come and find a clean conscience in Christ. If we say we have no sin, we make God a liar, and the truth is not in us, and it, and it eats us up. But if we confess our sins, but if we confess our sins, He's sure to put us on some sort of rehabilitation program and make us pay for all of our sins that we've done. No, wait. If we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us of all of our sins. So friends, maybe you came in this morning and you are the one who's been the oppressor. You've been the one who's been lying about people. You're the one who's been doing this. You're the target of this prayer. Would you come and repent? Would you come and fall before Jesus? Would you come and find that he is gentle and lowly of heart, that he will forgive you of your sins and you can stand before him with a clean conscience? Friends, God sees those things. He offers us an opportunity to come into his presence free from sin's guilt and free from sin's power. Friends, that is the opportunity that we have. So hear the righteousness, Lord. Hear the good thing. And then verse 13, rise up. Arise, O Lord. Confront him. Subdue him. I, I, I literally, I love this. Literally, come before his face. Arise, Lord, come before this person's face. Lord, let them know there's a God. Let them know they'll be held to account. Let them know that you are a God who sees. Let them know that there's someone they're going to answer to. Friends, this is what we need to know. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That one day we're all going to stand before the Lord. We're all going to give an account of what we did, of how we treated those we were in power over, how we respected those who were over us, how we loved our neighbors. We're going to give an account of those things. And let this, let this be a comfort to some of you. Let this be a comfort to you that God is going to judge wickedness. Like nobody's going to get away with anything, right? There's not going to be any injustice. Like there's going to be one day where you are going to say justice has been done. God has made it right. You are, going to, you are going to see, maybe in this life, but certainly in the next, that God is going to come and he's going to set all things right. And there will be a day when justice will be done. When those who were oppressed and were afflicted will be vindicated. When those who lied and manipulated will be judged. That day is coming to some of you who are enduring or have endured some of the most terrible abuse, some of the most wicked and vile abuse from other people. Let that be a comfort to you. That there will come a day where God will judge the wicked. And also, friend, if you're here, there will be a day when justice will be done. Would you come find yourself in Christ? Would you come rest in Him? Would you come find forgiveness for your sins? Would you come find Him? Would you let Him cleanse your heart? 
Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That fear, that understanding that, Lord, justice is going to be done, and I need you to cleanse me of my sins. I need to confess. That is the beginning of wisdom. So, Lord, he prays, let this person believe that there's a God that they'll answer to. Finally, and very, very briefly, verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. At the end, here's what the psalmist wants. Here's his big plea. Here's his big prayer to see God, to be in his presence. That's enough. He says, yeah, here's what I love is like what you and I struggle to do. I said a little bit about this earlier, but we sometimes want to say, well, I'm in God's presence. God loves me. I'm too blessed to be stressed. You know, everything is just going great. And we can, we can kind of minimize our other experiences. You know, somebody comes to us and they're like, man, I'm just suffering. We're like, well, you know, but God loves you. God's working a plan. And it's like, okay, yeah, yes. But it doesn't feel like that right now. Like I need a little bit of honesty, you know. Or we can kind of come over here and say like, man, I don't, this is never going to be resolved. This will never be good. And what the psalmist does, I love how he does this. He just lives in this tension of calling bad things bad. Like, in the church, what we can do is we can call bad things bad. We can be like, that abuse you experienced, that's awful. It's terrible. God hates it. There is no good reason for it to happen to you. There's no bad reason for it to happen to you. There's nothing that excuses that terrible thing that happened to you. And, and, this is a terrible thing that's happened to me. This is an awful thing that's happened to me. I have seen so many terrible things in my life, and yet, if I just see God, he's enough for me. If I get to live in his presence, he's enough for me. That's enough for me. Friends, let's live in that tension. Can we just be a church like uh, we? I'm, I'm a guest preacher. Can y'all? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll hang out. Uh, I'll come by. I'll be regular. Uh, y'all have me back. Um, can, can, can this just be a place where we live in tension? We live as a community that on this, at one time can really say, like, those bad things are really bad. Like, those situations are bad. Like, we can pray and say, Lord, this seems awful. This is terrible. And at the same time say, Lord, yet we know you're with us and you're for us. We know. And so we'll be satisfied. Whatever you're going to do, even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of all these terrible things, we, we'll see you and we'll be satisfied. These things are terrible. And yet we love you. We know you're for us. This is it. I love this, what... Hebrews 2 says, writing to a church that's persecuted, writing to a church that's wondering, is, is Jesus, is, has Jesus, is he ever going to come and set all things right? You know, I mean, Jesus said he was coming back. Is he coming? And here's what, here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, right now, we do not see everything in subjugation to him. We don't see him ruling and reigning. I mean, friends, if you walk out those doors, you know, right now, I'm going to tell you something. You are not going to see everything in subjugation to him. It's not going to always look like Jesus is ruling and reigning. That's why it's called faith. Because uh, right now we don't see it. Here's what he says. Right now we don't see everything in subjugation to him. Verse 9, but we see him. But we see him. And if we see him... That's how we're going to endure. 
We see him. And the author goes on through the whole book of Hebrews to just explain how awesome this Jesus is. We see him. We don't see things as they ought to be. We don't see justice rolling down. We don't see everything in subjugation. We don't see marriages being healed. We don't see people being set free. We don't see sicknesses always being healed. We don't see all of those things, and yet we see him. Brothers and sisters, would you see him? Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray together. Father, that's our prayer in the midst of many difficult and trying situations, many difficult seasons. We're especially reminded of injustice on this Sunday of Juneteenth, reminded of years, centuries of injustice. Lord, will we be um, bold enough to acknowledge those, um, to not sweep it aside, to not minimize, to not try to um, move on too quick. But Lord, will we also be a people who say, in your face we're satisfied. Say that you've been faithful in the midst of all the difficulties, all the trials, all the injustices, all the heartache, all the tears, that you are God who's faithful and that we will one day see you face to face. And in that, in your presence, just knowing that we're loved by you is enough. Would that be real to our hearts? Would that sink down deep? Would it enable us to endure? Would it enable us to love? Would it enable us to care? Lord, we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.